0: Hi I'm Christine and I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week.
1: Our hope is that we'll share some information that you'll find helpful.
0: So now we invite you to join us as we together listen
1: listen for for the the word.
0: word. Hi everybody welcome to our podcast this week. We are going to be looking at the second half of John 15, verses 9 through 17. This is a bit of a continuation of last week, if you listened. So, Alan, why don't you go ahead and put this into context, maybe build a little bit on last week.
1: Thanks, Christy. Yeah, our gospel lesson for today basically serves as an expansion or perhaps even an explanation of Jesus' discourse about himself as the true vine and his disciples as branches who must abide in him in order to bear fruit. Uh, Jesus has told them they must abide in him if they're going to be able to faithfully carry out their calling as disciples now you know I must confess for years I was baffled by the question of how one abides in Jesus and I know that there have been many spiritual answers given to the question but they never really quite satisfied me and I think we need to look for a biblical answer and of course fortunately what's happened is the authors and or editors Mm -hmm. of the fourth gospel provide us with the answer to that question now it's a it's. I don't think it's a very disputed question, but some gospel scholars of an earlier day would have said that this would, would have said that this section of the discourse probably didn't come from Jesus. I don't know that we have that much of an issue here, but um, what I like is that the answer that, that um, the, the people who put this together, they've crafted it in such a way that this section provides the answer, I think, to that question. And it's actually quite practical, um, as well as being deeply spiritual.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when I think of that word abide, I think of a word that in English, seems a bit old-fashioned, and I wonder if that's part of our challenge is that we're not that comfortable even with abide. I noticed that the CEB translates this as remain, mm-hmm. although I'm not sure remain and abide really mean the same thing. So I guess help us with this word a little bit and help us with what it means.
1: Yeah, so the Greek word is just meno, and it just means to stay or okay. or to live or to, or to remain or abide, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... um. That doesn't help us a whole lot. No, it doesn't. That didn't help at all. No. um, But I think what, what we find here is that the passage defines abiding in terms of a relationship, but perhaps a bit differently than we might expect. Uh, Jesus begins with, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So from the outset, abiding in Jesus is about the fact that Jesus loves us just as the Father has loved Mm -hmm. him. And we're to abide, therefore, or to to remain connected. It's like the branches abiding in the vine. We're to remain connected to his love for us. But again... How do you do that? That was always my question. How do you abide in Christ? How do you stay connected to him? That was always my question.
0: Right and I guess what does Scripture say? Let's let's look at right. it. right.
1: Well and I think I think this is what I love about this passage is that the next verse in, in the next verse Jesus gets very specific. If you keep my commandments, You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so clearly, Jesus' own relationship with the Father is the pattern for the disciples' relationship with Jesus. And what we find if we look at the fourth gospel is that Jesus' relationship with the Father is one of loving obedience. Mm -hmm. He constantly refers to his obedience to the Father in his dialogues with his opponents, challenging them to recognize that in all that he did, he was only carrying out the Father's will and perhaps one of the clearest statements about this theme is found in john 5:19 very truly i tell you the son can do nothing on his own but only what he sees the father's doing for whatever the father does the son does likewise and there are many texts like that in in mm-hmm. the gospel mm-hmm. and so it seems it seems like then this idea you know this is this is this is jesus relationship with the father and that sets the pattern for us
0: Yes, and you know, as as we're talking is talking about this right now, I think what is striking me as I think part of our our ability our struggle with this is that we see the church, kind of not understanding this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Jesus is trying to explain this, in many so we can understand, and yet I think we don't. Right. So, um, we're going to investigate that more as we move through this. So, I think one another question we have is. This abiding idea, is this unique to the fourth gospel? Maybe that's part of our challenge.
1: Well, it's not unique to the fourth gospel, but it is a Johannine idea. Now, Paul has something similar. Um, He has the the, the concept of being in Christ, Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. a whole... Another podcast, but in in the in John and in First John especially, you have this idea of abiding in Christ um, and abiding in in uh, God's love. But I think I think here we have this whole idea of of. You know, emulating Jesus' relationship with the Father in, in which he, you know, he's connected to the Father by his loving obedience to God. That's sort of the key, I think, of what it means to abide in Jesus and thus to bear fruit as his commandments. It means to carry out his commands to us just as he has carried out the Father's commands. And in fact, in the previous chapter, Jesus has spelled that out already. Those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with him. And that's John fourteen twenty three. And by the way, on a personal note, that's actually the inscription in the Brame family Bible that I have from the 1850s. It's a version of the Luther Bible. Um, and, uh, the inscriptions written a flowing German hand took me a while to actually decipher that it was John 14, 23, but there, I mean, there you have the idea that, uh, those who love me will keep my word. My father will love them. We will come to them. And that's mm-hmm. sort of the, that's sort of the gist of what it means to it abide. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, again, this is because the word you hear is not mine, but it's from the father who sent me. So again, you have that paradigm of Jesus just it passes on what he hears from the Father. He's doing what the Father, what he sees the Father doing. He says what the, he hears the Father saying, and so and likewise. If we're going to abide in Him, we're going to to take that same approach, and we're going to let His words um, be, you know, our words, and we're going to to follow His commands and His teachings.
0: And I think when we hear that, I mean, it, this is beautiful language, and we we want to wrap our brains around it, and yet. It is different language in the synoptics, yes, and it so is. how do we make sense? Are they are they just different ways of saying the same thing? Are I these think so. Different messages?
1: I think so. I mean, you know, our, our ears are tuned to the language of uh, the Jesus, the voice of Jesus in the synoptic gospels. You know, here there's only one command that yeah, Jesus gives: yeah. love one another as I have loved right. you. Right. In the synoptic Gospels, you know, Jesus says there are two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God, which is Deuteronomy Mm -hmm. 6, the Shema, and you shall love your neighbors yourself, which is Leviticus 19.18. But I think it's clear in in the fourth Gospel that, Love for the Father is what motivates Jesus to carry out god 's will and obey his commands, even to the point of laying down his life right and and so, I think we should understand that as the foundation for Jesus' command that we love one another here it 's not that love for god is 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 removed it's it's sort of the it 's sort of the implied condition to be able to love one another. We do that because we love god mm-hmm. so i don 't think and, and the other thing I would say is you know, we're talking about, you know, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And, and someone could think, well, maybe that means that we obey in order to be loved, right. but that's getting the order wrong. The order is, you know, I have loved you and you obey me just right. as the father has loved me and I have obeyed the father. So I have loved you. Now you obey me. And so we obey not in order to be loved, but we obey right. because we are loved.
0: Right. And that's, that's a little it's it's that interconnectivity um and and that order that it happens and we struggle we struggle understanding that i mean it it seems like i think it i think part of that especially in our modern world is because we think of 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 how we have agency to do things and if we do these things this will be the result from it and it's Mm -hmm. hard to see that jesus is going deeper it's like look you were responding in from love you're responding from actions that you didn't do and especially with our modern mindset mm-hmm. of what I can do in my own ability. Right. This is, a, this is harder for us to understand. Our mindset
1: is one of, uh, I have the right to do what I can do, and I have the ability to do this, mm-hmm. and so I'm going to do what I choose to do. And, and this is a whole different mindset, because Jesus subsumes his will to the Father's will. Jesus, you know, Jesus, everything Jesus does is in, is in obedience to the Father's will, because yes. the Father, he shares this relationship of love with exactly. the Father. And so in the same way, we abide in Jesus as we share a relationship of love with him, and then as a result, we, we in turn carry out his commands for us
0: right right so let me ask how does Jesus set this as an example
1: well I think Jesus sets the example uh, uh, for what it means not only to keep the father's commandments but also for what it means to love one another and he says it you know love one another as I have loved you Mm -hmm. so he's clearly presenting himself as an example and I want to recall us to the fact that at the beginning of this section of John's gospel we're reminded that um Um, right before the scene where jesus shares the meal with the disciples and 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 washes their feet this uh, john 13 one says having loved his own who are in the world he loved them to the end that's the nrsv perhaps the ceb is better he loved them fully and of course what follows then is that jesus washes the disciples feet as an act of service that they all would have seen as beneath him but There he makes it clear, I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. So very clearly, I think um, Jesus sets the example um, by the way he relates to the disciples and, and primarily by laying down his life.
0: Yeah, yeah. So in our text, what comes next?
1: So Jesus then points forward to that idea that he is going to lay down his life for them. And so he says, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Mm -hmm. And we've already seen that language that Jesus used of laying down one's life in the Good Shepherd discourse, Mm -hmm. where Jesus said he had the authority to lay down his life and to take it up again, and he had this authority as a command from the Father. Well, here Jesus, I think, makes explicit the idea that his act of laying down his life is intended as an example for them to follow. It comes from his love for them, mm-hmm. and he wants them to emulate that love in their relationship right, with each other. Right,
0: right. The, the thing that strikes me, so going to this step, laying down your life, that is that is the most complete selfless act you could
1: do, yes, if you will.
0: Because everything else is, I'm going to do this, what do I get out of it? What happens mm-hmm. if I I am no longer here? And That is something that is particularly unique here that I think is getting us to... But finally comprehend what yep, Jesus means.
1: Yep. Well, and I think what's also clear in this context is that the love that he's talking about when he says, no great, no one has greater love than this. And I, you know, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. The love that he's talking about is not an emotion primarily, but rather it is a life orientation. Mm-hmm. It is a commitment. It is a decision of the will. Yeah. yeah. But more than that, love is the fruit of the spirit that the Spirit bears in and through us, according to Paul in Galatians. Mm-hmm. And so there's a spiritual quality even to the love, I think, that Jesus I describes agree. here. I
0: agree. And again, we compete in the modern day with our maybe simpler, more naive senses of love than really the fullness that Jesus is describing here.
1: Yeah, well, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said the word compete, because I think our our modern world is a world of of people competing against one another. It's a zero-sum game. Everything's a zero-sum game. I win and you lose. And and Jesus is the prime example of the very opposite of that. Um, Jesus uh, wins the victory by mm-hmm. laying down his life.
0: One of the next things that, that you've identified for us to really think about is some new terminology. Jesus brings in this idea of friends, calling the disciples friends. Tell us about this.
1: This is very unique because the primary designation for Jesus' followers in the Gospels is um, disciples. And it's used like some 60 times, some 60 plus times in John's Gospel. Uh, Even after he calls them friends here, the Gospel continues to call them disciples. So here, though, Jesus calls them friends. And that is, I think, quite unusual. The only other time Jesus uses the word friend for one of his associates is when he tells his disciples, our friend Lazarus has died in John eleven four. But here it seems like Jesus is redefining his disciples' relationship with him from one of servants mm-hmm. to one of friends.
0: Which is from a vertical to, if you will, a horizontal type of relationship. Sure. I think that's really significant, and I think it's really significant in the context of love.
1: Yeah, um, yeah definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and, you know, um, one thing I might say as an aside is a disciple-teacher relationship in those days might be somewhat similar to a servant-master relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically he's, he's, he's transforming that relationship exactly, here. exactly. So again, I think this gives us another clue to what it means to abide in Jesus and his love, because Jesus kind of follows up on that by saying, you're my friends. If you do what I command you. So in, in this passage, abiding in Jesus, bearing fruit as Jesus disciple, doing what Jesus commands, following his example and emulating his pattern of obedience to the Father can all be summed up in terms of being a friend of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, these days, you know, the language of Jesus as our friend is so ubiquitous as to almost mean nothing,
0: right? But right. I think
1: this is this is really quite unique, and we should see this in the broader biblical context because, um, for example, in the whole Bible, only two people were called the friend of God. And, and that's Abraham and Moses. Abraham was called the friend of God uh, in Isaiah 41.8 and in James 2.23. And in Exodus 33.11, the, the, the text says, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And so I think we should see how unusual and how unique it is that Jesus is now transforming or, or perhaps redefining the relationship he has with his disciples from that of disciples to that of friends. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that's that's a big deal.
0: It is. It is a big deal.
1: So I, I would say that really, all of that—abiding um, in Jesus, uh, bearing fruit, doing what Jesus commands, following His example, emulating His obedience to the Father, being a friend of Jesus—that all basically entails what it means to abide in Jesus and in His love. Mm-hmm. Now I have to bring in my friend Jürgen Moltmann here because. Moltmann adopts the concept of friendship, not only to define our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with God, which is very significant, I think, for his theology. Mm, I agree. But also Moltmann adopts the concept of friendship as the paradigm for relationships and the fellowship of believers and for the calling of Christians and their relationships with all persons. That we're to be friends, friends to one another,
0: right? Right, and friends maybe in in the way that Jesus is absolutely, outlined, which which may be different. <laughs> of course, when you have teenagers, teenage friends are like almost the <laughs> exact opposite of this. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that this is a is a deep and a committed type of relationship.
1: Yes. I mean, it is a, it is a it, you know. Jesus says you know the definition of his friendship toward the disciples is that he's going to lay down his life for them I don't I mean I don't think we're meant to literally die for one another necessarily but I think we do lay down our lives for one another as we serve one another and in love and and yeah that is the paradigm for what it means to live the Christian life uh, according to this passage and I think that is huge that's very significant
0: it is well and as we move on through our passage, we learn even more about friends. So uh, take us through the rest of it. Yeah.
1: So I think because this idea of the disciples as Jesus' friends is such a new concept, the fourth gospel elaborates on what this means. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have known. I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. And so... Um, you know here the language of servant is kind of seen as less than a friend but you know we know that in in the new testament the language of a servant of christ was adopted pretty much throughout i mean everybody in the new testament calls themselves a servant of christ and and that's meant to be a positive thing uh, I think the thing that really sets this passage apart, though, and this is I think the point of this this verse is to say that when Jesus says He has made everything known that I've heard from my Father, I think he's not just referring to like his public teaching ministry, but I think he's referring to this private session. That he's holding with his disciples to prepare them for his imminent departure, the mm-hmm. so-called farewell discourses in this section of John's Gospel. Somehow he is giving them sort of the the word that is not only going to cleanse them and make them able to bear fruit, but also mm-hmm. it is going to be he, he is making known to them everything I've heard from from my father, and therefore they are they become his friends as a result of that. Mm-hmm. He's sort of letting them in on the, on the deeper exactly. deeper picture or the broader picture.
0: Exactly, exactly. Okay, and then ultimately we begin this process of summarizing. So tell us how these next verses kind of summarize the, the concepts that he's
1: introduced. So I think really basically in verse 16 we have something of a summary of the whole chapter the, up to this point. You did not choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And by the way, the the word is meno. Fruit that will abide. Fruit Ooh, that will that remain.
0: Will abide. <laughs> oh, my.
1: So that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. And again, the themes of this chapter are recapitulated. Those who belong to Jesus have a relationship with him because they were chosen Chose by him. him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the point of that relationship is to bear fruit that will last. And in order to accomplish this, they can ask for the Father's help, and he will give it to them. And again, you know, asking, he'll, the Father giving you whatever you ask him in my name is about their faithful discipleship and being able to carry that out—it's not about getting whatever you want. And so, then the end result of their faithful discipleship—it's not really specified here, but I think it's implied throughout John's gospel. Because you know, one of the one of the major themes in John's gospel is that everything Jesus does is to glorify God's right, name. Right. And so, in turn, then the re- end result of the of the faithful discipleship of Jesus own who follow right. Him is that the Father's name may may will be glorified.
0: Right right so we still are concluding as we move on
1: yep um, and and so finally the last verse Jesus just simply restates the purpose for the passage i'm giving you these commands, commands. so that you may love, love one, one another. another yep yep yeah and um as in the rest of the passage love for one another not only emulates God's character and constitutes what it means to abide in Jesus but it also defines the content of what it means to bear fruit in faithful discipleship
0: you know in a way this this stuff is kind of overstated i think jesus is really trying to make sure we get it so kind of over and over get it and and as we are studying this it's it it, it is it is something we can really identify but it also is something that we can it almost has a, a feel a sensibility about it if you will um that that i think the the language helps us kind of fall into it and get it in a way instead of we want we want simple faith we want these simple rules and this is like you understand this is more than just rules this is a combination of response in 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 And response to this love, that and response to this being chosen by God, and this all works together. And so I think.
1: Well, and you know, the mercy calls forth mercy. Love calls forth love. And if we have been loved by God, if we have been loved by Jesus enough for him to lay down his life for us, then that calls for us to love one another enough to lay down our lives for each other in yeah, service, right? Yeah. And so yeah, right, it, it, right. It, it, there is a there is a simplicity to it, but it's nothing simple, that's it, for that's, sure. That's it, yeah, that's it, in which all
0: reflects in the glory of God. It's, yes, indeed. And so yes, I indeed. think, well... I feel it feels better after talking through it but then also understanding that it's it's the simplicity and the complexity, or the complexity yeah. and the simplicity. It's, it's, well,
1: I mean, it's, and it, as is always the case, sometimes the most profound concepts are the simplest, you know? And, right. and I, I think really, I, I love the fact that in this passage, we have the answer given. Now, you know, you mentioned the redundancy sort of of the passage. That's a feature of John's gospel.
0: Well, wow, that's John too. I thought about yeah, that. Yeah, that's yeah, a feature yeah, of yeah. John's John. gospel,
1: all over the place. Right, uh, right. And you know, I, I, my brain goes to um, Monty Python and the holy grail and i'm dating myself there and, and uh, you know when you
0: know alan my 17 year old knows all of the words to that so nice, if you are not dating nice, yourself it's still you've, all you, that
1: you've not neglected his theological <laughs> education
0: exactly
1: exactly <laughs> so the whole point you know when the, when the when the priests are are are, are, are reciting <laughs> from the book about the holy hand grenade and it's all this redundancy that's that's sort of i think making fun of john's uh, gospel yeah you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> at least that's what i've always thought
0: there you go there you go you're one final thought for us before we move on. Um.
1: Yeah, and you know, we, we see if you're paying attention, we skipped a verse, uh, John 15, 11. Jesus said there, I have set these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So... Again, here Jesus applies to his disciples the pattern of his own life. Jesus' own joy springs from his relationship with the Father, which finds expression in his obedience to God and his love that he expresses by by laying down his life. And so I think, again, clearly the path to joy in life is through a relationship with Jesus and through him with the Father that is characterized by the self-giving love that is the essential character of God and the defining feature of Jesus' life. And again, I think it's important to note as well that this joy is also a gift of the Spirit uh, in in Galatians 5. And in the fourth gospel, one of the things we see is if if we go deeper into concepts like joy and life and peace, these are all aspects of salvation. These are salvation words. And so, you know... I don't think Jesus is saying here that you you gain your salvation, you gain your joy by by um, following in my path and laying down your lives and love for one another. Uh, but I think he's saying, you know, because we have experienced the love, we get to share in the joy. Yeah. It, yeah. It, you know, we, we we might think of it as a burden. You know, right. oh, I have to do this for somebody else, even though I don't want to. You know, I'd rather much rather be doing what I want to do. You know, f- right. F- the true concept is you know, that, that Jesus obeyed God, out, not only out of the love that, that he had received from the Father, but also from his joy in simply doing so. And I think if we, find, if we follow then Jesus' command to, to lay down our lives for one another as he did for us, we'll find that, that it brings joy.
0: Yeah, it it's does. It's not a burden. And you know, that is a perfect segue to Calvin. So we'll be back. All right, I love it when that happens. Yes. (laughs) Thanks.
1: So we're back, friends, and Christy's going to tell us a bit about how Calvin approaches this passage, so take it away, Christy.
0: Sure. So today I really just focused on Calvin's commentary to this passage. Now, we've talked about these commentaries before as being different than the Institutes, and my overall gut feeling about this is joy. And we always think of Calvin in terms of this austerity and his harshness, dour, and dour. <laughs> and his response to this passage has this real sense of joy with it, and mm. that very much comes through. Um, so I want to—I'm uh, just going to kind of dig in and move through uh, basic, uh, basic uh, pieces. But, but again, it feels light when you read it. It feels comforting when you read it. It does not feel harsh and judgmental, which you, you think could be. When we're talking about obedience, that indeed can take on a harsh tone. That is Calvin corrects any notions one might have about that. And I, I guess as I was thinking about Calvin as a, and as a whole today and thinking how we tend to think of Calvin and how Calvin's been kind of taken and, and made to be so austere, I think they've missed
1: Mm, this commentary yeah, yeah. Um, well and maybe maybe they've missed something important in the spirit of the man
0: yeah i i think absolutely and and that and that I mean, makes me sad you,
1: you don't preach a sermon every day you know just out of obligation you right, know, that, that, right you just burn out when you do that i, I think there was something more that was yeah driving him. this
0: one's this person is 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 clearly called mm-hmm. and and called to share in the joy and love that he has and clearly people followed him um with that compassion. I mean, this is, he's at a time when, and in, in an area where people could leave and move and go about. um, And yet he was able to build that church. In fact, it became the model. Mm -hmm. Uh, People wanted that Geneva. It must not, it must have been a a bit of a wonderful place as people celebrated each other in friendship. So I'd like to think of, uh, as I said, I think this gives that sense for Calvin. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think interestingly enough, um, he was, began the passage kind of concerned about some of the questions is what does it mean for the father to love himself in the son (laughs) now that sounds silly but that's very much a medieval kind of concern that's the kind of questioning the medieval church did Mm -hmm. and so um Calvin comes about, and I call it, he is maybe one of the first ones to introduce Jesus language, right? <laughs> but this idea that they're getting so caught up with that, um, that we, his idea is that, look, we must find Christ in order to find God that Christ intercedes for us. In other words, that's how we come to know who God is, and, and we have to create that relationship and indeed that friendship yeah. um, of Jesus. And so... If you will, he's our first evangelical in that sense, right? In that in that Jesus language, right?
1: Well, and you know, as I think about the medieval church, perhaps they had a Jesus that was so divine that he wasn't even human. It's
0: exactly it. You know, this is a friend in Jesus, and Calvin is really the first one here to point that out. Nice. Um, And so, its idea: the love of God flowed through Jesus, that it might flow to us, Um, and then his very. Calvinist sense of this: Jesus is the head of the church, and therefore that love has to flow out to the body.
1: Ah, nice. Mm-hmm. So that's nice.
0: really nice.
1: Kind of like, kind of like the approach I took. Yeah. Ex-
0: exactly. I
1: love it when Calvin Calvin agrees with me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what I've had so much fun with in this podcast and reading these pieces of Calvin is just how much he has impacted Mm. the modern church. I mean, he's still a man of his time, but he's, 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 he's gotten, you know, people took him and then we got the extremists that went to the tulip. And then all of a sudden we have this view of evil Calvin and, Calvin had a really lot of good well, things. Well, and say. as we've
1: said before in the podcast, you know, it seems that the Calvin of the commentaries is basically interpreting the Bible in light of the Bible, right. interpreting Scripture in light exactly. of Scripture, and and that's that's the foundation I think of any good biblical exactly,
0: interpretation. exactly. Now, like like Allen was talking about this this what does this mean to abide in God's love? And according to Calvin, um, this means that it is not. Um, uh, it is not mutual love for Christ so much as it is love for Christ towards us that is connectivity with the Father. So it's, it's not a separate relationship, but that it's a. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what we had. Yeah, concluded that makes before. Sense. Yeah. huh.
1: I mean, it's it's yeah, it's a relationship. Uh, ultimately with God through Jesus Christ, you know, and we can't, yeah, we can't leave out the Trinitarian aspect entirely. Right, right.
0: And then he also explained that none of this could have, this pureness of love could not have happened without Christ dying for our sins, because before we were enemies, and we could only experience this love through Christ's Mm. um expiating so, so he
1: brings in a little bit of Paul here I think in yes I, I absolutely <laughs> yes I absolutely
0: agree I, and yeah. he doesn't he doesn't recognize that he's done this but yeah. that is how his interpretive well I think
1: the true. difference between Calvin's approach and my approach is that I try to try to recognize that there's a you know, there's a distinctly Johannine voice, right. there's a distinctly right. Pauline voice. It's not that they're, I'm going to pit them against each other, right. but I do want to recognize the uniqueness of each right. voice. Right, And I think in the, in that day, you know, the it the, the idea more. was just kind of yeah, to 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 kind of take the whole biblical witness as 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 one unified voice.
0: Right, right. Yeah. At least more than today. Sometimes to point it out he'll he'll point out differences but then he'll try to reconcile it mm-hmm. together yeah. right mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so uh, second question um um to go, to move on with was um how did it impact our theology right um yeah, yeah. um so <clears throat> in terms of loving calvin claims that um it is not up to us to abandon the grace that god has given us so in other words we have some agency and response, which is interesting because sometimes we get so caught up in the idea that things are predetermined, that even our response is predetermined. And actually in this passage, there is more agency from us as believers than we might sometimes like to ascribe to Calvin. Which so
1: so maybe grace isn't always so irresistible after all. Yeah,
0: it's kind of this <laughs> strange balance. And he kind of goes back and forth, you know, and I have cool. some quotes by him we can go to. Um, um, since, since we have been received into the grace of Christ, we must see that we do not fall from it through our own fault. Uh, that is a quote. So sounds, we have to make uh, Sounds,
1: agency. sounds, um, uncharacteristically, um, I guess uh, it's, it d- doesn't fit the stereotypical it, Calvin. It, it doesn't.
0: Yeah. And I, I would say that he is, uh, there's a bit of tension in, in what that means. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think it's a tension probably within his own theology. If we mm-hmm. really pull, we could have great paper here. If we really pulled that apart, we would see that there's spaces where he he gives us more agency and spaces where he takes it away. So, and, and it, I see it in this. Well, I
1: think it depends on your perspective. If you're looking at it from the perspective of God's sovereignty, I get what he's saying about grace. But then when you're looking at it from the perspective, from, from a pastoral perspective, you know, um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there's a need to encourage people to persevere and to, and to be faithful in their disciples. Exactly, sure.
0: yeah. yeah. And he's like, look, God gives us, freely gives us grace, but it's pointless unless we respond, and we mm. respond in prayer. Um, we do not have the strength ourselves, but we do through that grace of God. Yeah, um, nice. So for Calvin, this role to love one another was central to the Christian life. The true proof of God's love is our love towards our neighbors.
1: Mm. I like that. So,
0: yeah, I do too. Yeah. I do too.
1: I mean, I, to, and that I think is the gist of what this passage is about. It's like I said before, those who've received mercy are to show mercy in the biblical text. Those who who know God's love are, are to follow the example, you know, and know God's love in Jesus are to follow the example by laying down their lives in service to others. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, that's wonderful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So now, you know, one of the thoughts I had when I approached this passage was, you know, given the shift away from a sort of works righteousness, I wonder how the, how the reformers like Calvin, you know, handled this whole language of obedience to Christ, uh, um, in, in his right. theology. Right.
0: Well, as we talked about, there is an expectation that we respond. And so that's definitely, um, um, our, the grace is freely given, but we have to respond to it, um. And let, just, I'll just read the quote. And indeed, this is from Calvin. Christ does not reconcile believers to the Father that they may indulge in wickedness without reserve and without punishment, but that governing them by his Spirit, he may keep them under the authority and dominion of his Father. Hence it follows that the love of Christ is rejected by those who do not prove by true obedience that they are his disciples.
1: Uh-huh. So, so there's a, so there's a, so there's a, um, maybe a, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, there's a bit of a tricky side, I guess, to perseverance of the saints.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And this is, of course, this is, this is the type of passage, you know, that, that would say, gosh, he's really strict and nuts. He uses this to be able to judge who's in and who's out. I don't think it's designed Mm to be a judgment, but it is designed to be an encouragement. And what's important is we should put it in the context of his whole commentary, because, um, in the whole commentary, it's, 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 it's an encouragement to respond with this complete, um, Fullness of heart that indeed Christ responds to to the Father. So, I think it's like, look, Christ is all in, but you're not. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. if if you are really, if you are really committed, and we'll talk a little bit more, if you are really falling into the grace and falling into Christ's love, that this is this is a natural response right. for us to respond fully. Right. So it's that that awkward. Um, th- 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 relationship that john identifies that you've got well there's a
1: balance there to be struck you know and 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 um yeah we don't we don't obey in order to be loved we obey because we have been loved,
0: right right and so he points out jesus is the model for a correct living because his actions are a result of his commitment to the father and there is joy he really points out the joy here um that comes from those justified by grace. So our works are a response to the joy. Sure. So, (laughs) and I suppose there's this in this, in this situation of, you know, why are people responding? Do they want to appear to be responding out of joy? And, and I think he's talking about the reciprocity that John introduced. So he's just trying to explain it to us again. Mm -hmm. Um, And here's one other beautiful quote. The joy takes away the dread and uncertainty. Quote, remember, it is that emphasis that God chose them. Uh, Men commonly imagine some kind of concurrence to take place between the grace of God and the will of man. But that contrast, I chose you. Mm-hmm. I was not chosen by you, claims, exclusively for Christ alone, what is usually divided between Christ and man, as if he had said that a man is not moved of his own accord to seek Christ until he has been sought by him. Mm-hmm. So I think Well, that and so it.
1: basically I hear that as saying, you know, push comes to shove, Calvin's going to come back to the sovereignty of God's grace. Exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. Exactly. Um, but, you know, he's, he's, he's recognizing at least we believe we have agency. Look, mm-hmm. at least we... yes. We are called to respond, and we should f- fall into that.
1: Yeah, uh, and, and and the proper response to God's sovereign grace demonstrated to us in love, and by God, by Jesus laying down His life for us in love, is for us to live a life of obedience and faithful discipleship. Right. Yeah. Which which brings us joy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. again,
0: so one of the interesting pieces that is, is uniquely Calvin with this that that maybe has been in the back of our minds, but we hadn't brought forward is. The role of election in this. And it's here that Calvin talks about election, which are the ordinary believers adopted as the children of God and special election, those who are set apart um, to spread the gospel. Oh my. And so that's who the disciples are.
1: Well, that seems strange because it would seem like it almost introduces a, a division between the, the the people and Absolutely. the clergy. Absolutely, yeah.
0: <laughs> There's an hierarchy, um, which I think is really um, problematic, actually, when we start talking about the equality of all believers, and then all of a sudden you get this shift. I... I I haven't reconciled it myself yet, and I need to read more on how Calvin works this, through this in different places. But he does introduce this here. Um, so there's this idea that if we admit that we owe everything to God, then in a way we must respond to the completeness of self. Um, and so I suppose probably I would prefer to think of this with, with, um, um, in, the ter- in, in terms of um, sanctification, Right yeah, uh, but that may not be fair, and it may not have been what Calvin was thinking, but um, this idea that as as you are becoming completely aware of god's grace that then it's you are and and maybe maybe in the sanctification process, the idea is that some people never never reach that full process where they're mm. fully engaged where mm. they're fully willing to lay their life down right. i'm not I'm not sure but you're right, and emphasis is God is the author. Um, and uh, despite the seemed ineffectiveness of our work um, as God is the author, we are to continue to work on God's behalf. And this is a comment on the disciples. so he kind of takes that step as for the disciples, but also also us. So mm-hmm. he recognizes I th- he recognizes that the commentary that went towards the disciples initially has actually a broader audience later on. Yeah. Um, huh. And wants to encourage us that with all this work, the fruit we may not see in our own lifetime. The disciples may not have seen it either. But that that god will make that fruit happen sure so i think that's interesting too yeah. so it has this positive tone is that your work is for naught that not to give up hope
1: the work your work is not in vain
0: right yeah your work is not in vain so anyway if you and this is ultimately if you recognize the power of god then you come to work in fear and trembling with that awe mm-hmm. with that sense of being called and and laying your life at Jesus. So at Jesus so
1: feet. the obedience that Jesus says is the definition of what it means to abide in Him, is a is a holy calling. Yes, and one that is not only um, humbling and filled with awe, but also is one that um, um, is a positive thing that draws us to confidence that God is going to work through us, and uh, then results in joy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So that's Calvin for you. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Thanks, Christy. Thanks. Hi, friends. We are back. And this uh, passage has a lot of real implications for today. And I think the first question I want to pose to Alan is, what role does practical real-world obedience play in our understanding of the relationship with Christ and of the Christian life as a whole.
1: Yeah, I think that really is kind of what it boils down to, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Um, because if if what it means to abide in Christ is to emulate his pattern of loving obedience to the Father and loving service and laying down his life for others, um, then it sounds to me like that needs to be translated into our lives in, in, in real world terms. Um, you know, I think we tend to view the Christian life, uh, almost, um, from this sort of dualism between the sacred and the ordinary. Mm -hmm. And so our Christian space is what we do related to church. And, and the other space is just kind of what we do else uh, otherwise yes, yes and i don't i don't see that as being um um acceptable in in the concept that that uh, that john's gospel is presenting to us here i mean it seems to right. me that that um if we're going to live a life of of loving obedience uh to god uh in in emulating jesus example and laying down our lives for one another—that's going to have to work its way into everything, everything we, d- we we do. do. Yeah. we do.
0: And I feel—I mean, I feel like many of us uh, challenge that, right? You know, we when when we're out and about, uh, are we are we responding um, in a way that would that would reflect the love of Christ? And uh, but I—I I don't know. Always, I, there's other folks that probably come. It's like, oh, I, I did my church, I paid my dues, and I'm done.
1: Um, well, and there's a there's a real world. There's also a real world practicality is that none of us can be on all the time. That's right. And and so you know, I mean, you know there there are there are few saints in the world who have somehow been able to devote their entire waking hours to the service of Christ and the yeah, service of that's others.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: I, I'm not there. I'm not uh, at that point yet. Mm-mm. Um, There are times when I need to get on my bicycle and I need to go for a couple of hours a ride to clear my head and take care of myself. And I must confess, I'm I'm not really thinking of anybody else at that time when I do that. Now, I do believe that that activity is crucial to my ability to continue to serve others in the rest of my life. Right, right. But there are there are times when I need to just, or there are other times when I need to just, uh, you know, crash and take a nap, you know, right, and, right. And is that loving service to others? Well, maybe taking care of myself with by resting is 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 enabling me right. to, to serve others, and so we can frame right. it that way. But I, I think you know you can get into almost a trap of of legalism. Yes, with this, I, th- I thought and
0: about that. Absolutely, we don't
1: want to go there. No. I don't think. I mean, we 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 have to let ourselves be real human beings in this right. and we recognize that we're going to fall short well we, we're going to fall we're always. going to, we're going to we're going to stumble we're going to make mistakes we're going to sin right and and as much as we'd like to be able to say we're not going to it's just that's the part of the reality of being human
0: so i'm thinking about this you know we're preaching this and you know are, are you coming at the angle of hey you're going to mess up um because you're human or are you coming at the angle of hey step up um you're you're called to act um and and i I think there's a balance it may depend on your congregation you know Um, i guess
1: my experience with folks in the pews is the language needs to be step up
0: (laughs) yeah i I, i'm wondering i I think
1: i think folks i don't know i know that there are some folks out there who who really are hard on themselves right and they don't give themselves a break. And there's some people who do need to hear that message of give yeah. yourself a break and recognize, you know, at the end of the day, you do the best you can to to lovingly obey God by laying down your life for others. And, and you leave it right. in God's hands, right? right. And God right. is going to use your best to co- accomplish his work. Uh, but the, uh, there are a vast majority of people, I think, that, that need to hear the message of, you know, if you're going to really um, be serious about this Christian thing, uh, You need to step it up a bit.
0: You know, one of the churches that I attended for a long time, I really loved it because the idea was you come to church and and the Spirit fills you. And then there was a sign of now, as you're leaving the church, you're entering the mission field. So your work is... Yeah. you're just getting started right. on your day. Instead your Christian of, I've life. I've done this. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. your Christian life begins when you walk begins out the door. you walk out the door. Right.
0: And and it was always kind of a, a motivating sense. You know, hopefully you got uh, spiritually replenished and then you go. But um, most people probably don't actually follow that, right? right. They're, they're coming in. I'm doing my, I, I did my church thing and I'm, I'm done.
1: Right. <laughs> well, and you know, you know, we get caught up in the distractions of work and family and all the other distractions that are out mm-hmm. there. And it's hard yes, to yes. to balance all of that and to manage it and to keep your focus on God.
0: Right. Yes, absolutely. It is a challenge. It is so a challenge. So maybe
1: maybe we do need to say, you know, give yourself a break. I don't know. I, I, I think it needs to be both and. I think
0: it needs to be both and. And yeah. it may depend. I'm, I'm lucky I served in that. A church with two pastors. So the, uh, my big joke is he's always the one, uh, he's, he's got the step up mes- message and I tend to come with the other one of give yourself a break. So <laughs> we balance each other out. <laughs> okay. So we have, we have more interesting things we can think about with this. So how does the concept of friendship be useful, both in how we understand our relationship with Christ and also in how we understand our calling in the church and in the world? <laughs>
1: Well, you know, here, I, I really think Moltmann was an, was an eye-opener to me, and and this is a passage that I quoted from his Church in the Power of the Spirit, and by the way, if you're looking for the best way to get an entree into Moltmann's theology, I would say Church in the Power of the Spirit is it, because that really kind of covers all of his theology in a in a summary fashion. Mm, nice. Um, but, you know, so so there's two aspects to this. It, it I must confess that it blows me away to think of my being able to be Jesus' friend. friend. I'm not thinking of it in terms of Jesus is my friend, but that I get to be a friend of God or a friend of mm-hmm. Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That, that is almost more than I can bear.
0: But you need to go re- be singing those Baptist hymns. I
1: guess so. <laughs> go visit them. <laughs> I don't have a Baptist hymnal anymore, so I, I, I I've forgotten some of those. But you know, but again, I think I think again, I'm going to push back a little bit because I think mostly in those hymnals, in those hymns, the language is about what a friend we have in Jesus. Yes, you know, yes, Jesus yes. is our, our friend. friend, right? Right. And 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 you know jesus i think is is inviting us to be his friend i agree i agree and and That's especially a, especially cool. in in you know we're we're podcasting in the season of lent and you know my my lenten discipline this year has taken me to really um reflect on all that jesus did in laying down his life for us mm-hmm. yeah and it has been an overwhelming experience to me and a humbling experience to me. And I think I, 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 you know, I think when I, when I, when I come to a passage like this and I, you know, Jesus chooses me mm-hmm. to be his friend. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, how can, I, I'm not right. worthy of that. Right. And I know that I can never be worthy of that. And yet I don't have to be worthy of that. And yet I'm almost a little bit it's like i'm almost a little bit intimidated by it
0: yeah i agree there is an intimidation there but i think it's that sense of intimidation that that begs us to respond in friendship right sure. the kind of friendship oh, we've heard about in john here this this uh this expectation and obedience that comes when we are taken aback by that jesus would want us to be yeah. friend i mean i think I think if you can wrap your brain around that, that that's going to lead you to understand this passage better. Sure.
1: Oh, I agree. I agree. And then, of course, the other thing, I mean, one of the things that I have really embraced ever since I really kind of embraced Moltmann's theology, you know, some 20 years ago or more, is, you know, I really do see uh, the concept of friendship As the overarching umbrella for what it means for us to live together in the church in relationship with one another and what it means for us to carry out our calling to be the church in the world that we are called to be friends to one another who lay down our lives for each other, but we are also called to be friends to the those everyone in the world, right, right, and to lay down our lives for right. them, and and so in in in, this, in a sense, this concept of friendship is sort of a maximally expansive exactly. vision of the Christian life,
0: exactly. But think about the impact if people embraced this, and that's.
1: <laughs> I think I, you know I've said it before. I think if people really in our churches really embraced something like this, our churches would not be able to hold the people that would be coming.
0: I agree. I agree and I think it would vastly change what our world looks like, which yeah. is of course I think the it of faith. Yeah. Um but uh well we know there's a we have a long way to go.
1: <laughs> yes indeed. Yes indeed. And and you know again I think we can recognize that God accepts what we offer to him uh even though we fall short and we can give ourselves a break and you know um, you know, if you're like me, you'd have a tendency to think, of, well, my best isn't good enough. And, you know, um, best is best. And, right. and, and I think in God's, God's eyes, He's not measuring us with a yardstick. Well, you you know, you only come up to 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 so many inches, and and this person right, has right. has double the inches. So you know, this person has a much better. I don't think I don't think it works that way. I mean, I think I think we all God knows what our best is, and right. and that's what we're called to do. And if we do that, then you know, I think God accepts that. And I, I right. mean, obviously, the the message of grace is God accepts us whether we do it or not. But um, I think, uh, again, I think our 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 world, our ch- the church would be revolutionized, and our world would be revolutionized if we would all catch the vision of this concept yeah. of being friends who lay down our lives for one another. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, absolutely. It absolutely. So, friends, that's a lot to think about with this passage. Enjoy. Thanks, Christy. Thank you.
1: That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us.
0: It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ.
1: We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together Listen for for the the word.
0: word.